of part three. He did part one. I did part two. And now he's wrapping up part three of how to have a word-filled marriage and the joy of a word-filled uh, uh, family, actually, where it's not marriage. I'm sorry, I keep saying marriage. It's family that we're in now, okay? How many like to have a word-filled family? Amen. That's the, that's the goal, isn't it? God bless you, John. Thank you, Pastor. So first off tonight, as we're finishing this up, and a lot of this has probably seemed like a, a lot of uh, criticism almost, um, a lot of ideals and techniques that, honestly, it's hard for anybody to live up to. But one thing I want to say to start off tonight, though, is I want to say the best example of an incredible perfect dad is our Heavenly Father. You can never look to an earthly dad to see a perfect example. So let's just remember that in all that we've learned and all that we've been studying and what we're going to finish up with tonight. He is the example. So the first part of 16 starts off with, and I actually did not know this because if you remember when this happened, the news was focused on the school teacher, and I don't remember her name. But I didn't even know that, that Commander Husband was the actual commander of the flight. But it talks about, uh, right before the disaster of the Space Shuttle Columbia, that Commander Hubbard, Hubbard husband, requested from his good friend that a particular song be played. And I didn't hand out your stuff, did I? So the question to number one, thank you, Bob. So the question number one is found right here. What was the what did Commander Husband love so much that he requested it to be played? It was a song, God of Wonders. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. So then it goes on to say, before, before boarding the space shuttle, as they were walking out across the ramp, Husband stopped all of his crew and prayed for them. NASA said that this was something that had never happened before. In all their years working there, had never seen a commander pray for his crew. Husband shared just how awesome God's creation was as he viewed it out of the space shuttle window. Never realizing just how soon he'd personally be face to face with his Savior. Because of not wanting his two children to miss having their private devotions with their dad during the 17 days that he was going to be in space, husband recorded a daily devotional video for each of them. This meant sacrificing time out of his busy schedule to record those videos. And now that he's gone, how important are those videos for his kids now? So then it asks, it says, Dads, if you yourself were ushered into eternity today without a moment's notice, what kind of legacy would you be leaving for your children? I talked about that briefly last week. 
If there's anything I want to leave for my kids and grandkids, it's that it's pointing them towards Jesus. Above anything else, above money, above land, above anything else, that their dad or their papa was pointing them towards Jesus. And so that takes us right into building a godly legacy. It says, how can we even begin to build a godly legacy? God, who is the owner of your life and mine, has written out just what he expects from us. There are an abundance of how-to parenting instructions in our owner's manual called the Bible. Instead of a shelf full of self-help books and, and worldly advice, the best advice we can have for anything is found right in the Bible. Deuteronomy 6, 5-7 through seven, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And those words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And I know parents in this church are great at doing that very thing. Wonderful, wonderful parents we have in this church. And our youth and our, our teenagers, we have some good teachers here directing them and leading them towards Christ. So this passage reveals threefold parenting responsibility. And that is question number two. Number one is we must love God preeminently. Number two is that we treasure his word in our hearts. And three, that we pass on that faith diligently to our children. Everybody get number two? So nurturing in God's word and his ways is a specific type of training called discipling, disciplining, biblical children training. The process of causing our children to come under our authority and respect our word leads to teachable hearts that are open to receiving God's word in the right spirit. Here are some ways in which we can do this. Because even though that sentence says, respecting our authority and respecting our word, which we are the head of the household, but above that is that our authority and our respect lies in God. And hopefully they can see that through us. God commands us to fill by talking to our children about God is number one. God commands us to fill our homes with his word in contrast to operating in the flesh. God's way is to lead our children through both word and deed. Both of those words are super important. Not only the word of God in their lives, but the way you act and the way you treat them makes a huge difference. And others. To love him with their whole hearts and to follow him obediently. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Again, you shall teach them God's word diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Note that God tells us to talk about all 
that he has commanded. Not preach, not scold, not pound it into them, or dump it on them, and leave with no explanation. No, we should make sure, make sharing the Lord so natural that we freely talk about him anytime and anywhere. If we see God in everything, so will they. If God stays strictly at church and never leaves church, they will compartmentalize him right out of their social lives, private lives, sports lives, dressing lives, and recreational lives, and every other part of their lives. Because you don't talk about God outside of church. Which we know is wrong. You talk about God everywhere. This is very true. Uh, Pastor J.D. Frog, one of his biggest points is social media. How many realize that what you post, what you respond to, and what you comment on social media, it represents you? So in everything that we do, social media, the way we dress, we're supposed to represent God. So if you're on social media and you're bad-mouthing and you're backstabbing and you're backbiting and you're cursing, it's showing who you really are. <laughs> Let's see. I don't think exceptions can be made. Although they are valuable, valuable arguments. And, you know, I think it's really important for us to understand the love, especially loving God. It's, it's the greatest commandment. It's a choice. It's, it's, it's a choice to obey the commandment to love God. You know, so many people mix up love with emotional feelings and stuff, and it really has nothing. doesn't mean, you know, true love actually affects our emotions, but it's not an emotion. And uh, so as far as talking about, and you know, I was thinking today, uh, we, I got a new manager that started, kind of my boss. Yeah, I'm the contractor, it's not really my boss, but, you know, he, he started on the properties where I work at, and so we had lunch together, and, you know, within five minutes, I'm talking about God, you know, and it's, it's just because if you talk to me very long, you're going to hear about God because I love him, and that's who I am. I don't talk sports. I don't talk, I mean. I don't mind some of those things, but if you're around me very long, I'm going to steer the conversation towards God, you know. We, I had the guy praising the Lord, you know, <laughs> during our lunch break. It's just awesome, man. But, you know, it's, it's, it's something you don't have to try if it's inside here, you know. You do spread it. 100% right. I was, I was going to say something about social media. One of the biggest reasons I got off of most platforms, um, it wasn't with the unbelievers, it was this, the professing believers that where I found my biggest issue um, is you would see somebody who obviously blatantly did not know the Lord, and I will never understand why a person is surprised that an unbeliever will behave as an unbeliever. Okay, why, why are we all shocked here? But some of the hateful, most hateful, most degrading, and just disgusting comments, and they might not be dropping the F-bomb. They might not be using socially unacceptable curse words, but they are cursing those people, and they, they try to justify it by what, whether it's 
political, socioeconomical, whatever their reasoning is, and then you go to their personal page and they're like, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And it's like, but is he though? You know, and, and so like, I just, like, I wanted to kind of touch on that because I think sometimes it's like, yeah, you shouldn't be, you know, behaving in a way that, you know, misrepresents Jesus on these platforms, but that doesn't always mean attacking what you, what, you know, doesn't mean attacking sin with a, a sharp, sharp knife and in, in being hateful, but rather sometimes showing, you know, not sometimes, but always shining that light that is Jesus instead of being mean, instead of being hateful. You know, so when they go and click on my page and see that I'm a, a lover and follower of Christ, they say, oh, not, oh, okay, go figure, you know, that kind of thing. 100% right. Almost this, almost this whole church has, has gone off Facebook. Social media is really a, a mess. I mean, there's a whole lot of people in there. I have a lot of people that are my friends from high school and stuff, and they're all about God, just like what you were just saying, Lisa. And, oh, yeah. But uh, I always try to use social media as a platform to give truth mostly I like to try to encourage people and that's one of the things I don't know the Lord's just always dealt with me about encouraging others to do better you know just like if I had somebody that's working for me and they you know they want to step out on their own hey that's great I don't have a problem with my best guy taking off and doing his own thing because I think that's what he should do I really do I see that as a he's moving up he's going in another direction and that is fantastic so I just always look at social media as one of those platforms. If you use it right, it's okay. But there is a lot of garbage on there, and you just got to weed through a lot of that stuff. And sometimes just skip over it because it, it, it will get in your spirit if you let it. It will. So anyway. I have a lot of people, though, that are commenting on, on stuff that I put on there about Scripture or whatever it is that's, you know, the Lord's leading me in a lot of times. A lot of times it's about, a lot of things about walking in the right path, always walking in God's light, living a righteous life or try to live the righteous life. None of us are perfect, but we try. But a lot of people do comment on some of that. But I do get some of the negative stuff, too. But mostly it's positive. I have to say most of that's positive. Some really good points. Mom and I were actually just talking about this on drive up here tonight. What Lisa and Bob were talking about, what Terry was talking about too. But um, just like Lisa was saying, you, you don't attack them by stabbing them because of a lifestyle they've chosen or choices they made. Because that's never going to win anybody over. You, you love them, you know. You, you have to acknowledge their sin, but you, you love them, you know, like. Man, I'm here for you. You know, you want to talk? I'm here for you. You know, you, you, I'll pull you out in front of a bus. You know, I mean, you might be living in sin, but I love you. You know what I mean? I love you, honestly. So come talk to me. You know, I don't hate you. I'm not going to not hang around you. I love you. But the world holds, I got to talk about this a bunch on Sunday night, but the world holds a stigmatism towards Christians that they think 
that they don't have no problems, right? Oh, you're a Christian, so you don't, you don't know what I'm talking about. You can't relate. You don't deal with this, you know. You don't have problems in your life. You know what I mean? It's completely false. It's a false stigmatism that they hold against Christians, and it's not true. We go through just as much and sometimes more because the world hates us than they do. So believe me, we can relate. And we, can, we can relate to people out of love and relate to people because we've been in those same shoes before too. But the difference is that we have a, a Savior that is walking us through to the end. And when we pass, and however, however crappy this world's been, we're going to spend eternity with our Lord and Savior. So, uh, these were... So, talking about God to your family. So, one of them is when you sit in your home. Um, I know how easy it is to fall into routines. You know, uh, your favorite basketball team is playing that night. Or we talked about this before, too, when you know you worked a long day, something came up at work, and you had to work four hours overtime. You know, you're, when you come home, as tired as you are, your kids still need you, you know? And one thing that we should keep in mind, instead of coming home and complaining about work, complaining that we had to work four hours overtime, or complaining that our boss just doesn't know what they're talking about or what they're doing, and I had to pick up all the slack for it, is to come home and spend time with your kids and show them Jesus. And show them the blessings of life. What comes of you had to work four hours overtime. The good things that God provides out of these things instead of cursing everybody and cursing your boss and that life's just so bad and unfair to you. Because what do your kids think? Life's just supposed to be bad and unfair to me too. So talk about God when you walk by the way. Now he gives an example that, that he goes, he actually takes his kids on walks, which, which is good, that's fine, um, but you don't necessarily have to take them on a walk. You can sit in, your, in their bedroom with them, you know? Something they like is like building puzzles. Sit and build a puzzle with them, you know? And talk to them about scripture and talk to them about their day and talk to them about God. Um, I wrote out beside here, because you can't not help but see it everywhere you go, um, you go to a shopping mall, you go to a big outlet store, you go to a restaurant, and you see everybody on their electronics, including the kids. And the kids are misbehaving, and mom and dad ain't paying a bit of attention to it. Mom and dad aren't even talking to each other because they're on their own electronics. So I wrote up beside here, put down the electronics and learn to communicate with the kids again. It, it was different when Abrana was younger. She's more relatable to now that she's older, and she started to experience some of life stuff. And so now we can sit down and conversate for a long time, you know, just about work, about social life, about. It doesn't mean that I shouldn't have put this as much effort into it when she was younger. I'm just being honest. It's easier now that she's older. It's easier to communicate with her. She seems to understand more. Instead of it just being okay or yeah, she actually conversates back now. Yes, I agree. It's true, Bob. Yes. Even, and. Good point. 
And that goes for people outside of your kids, too. That can go for coworkers or family members. You know, sometimes you can pound Jesus into them every day, and they just, nothing ever clicks, right? They just keep the same thing, right? But then they see you living your life and that you went through rough times, and you never turned from Jesus. And later in life, you ever get a chance to meet them again, they'll come up to you and they'll give you a hug and say, you know, it's because of all that stuff you were going through, and you never lost sight of Jesus, that I found Jesus later. Um, talk about God when you lie, lie down. And this is excellent. Um, it's a joy to go tuck your kids in at night because they're, they're innocent, they're calm down again, <laughs> they're quiet, and you, know, you can go tuck them in, you can read them you know, a prayer, uh, read them a Bible story, pray with them, love on them, you know, put them to sleep. And you just, it helps you remember just how precious them kids are, you know? Um, so I think that is a fantastic time as parents that we can sit and put a little Jesus into them right before they go to sleep. And then talk about God when you rise up. This one is hard to do because I know just being real, I mean, you get up, and all you're thinking about is putting your clothes on, getting some coffee, and you're out the door. And the same way with the kids. They wake up just in time to get dressed to make it to the school bus or get in the car to go to school, and then you're almost late every day. So there's not really that time. Can we do a better job at making that time? Sure. But honestly, life, work, school, it's hard to make that time in the morning. Put everybody around the breakfast table. Everybody have a bowl of cereal. Let's talk about your day. Let's give you some encouragement. Let's feed you some scripture and get on with your day. It's just... It's hard. That's all you do. You talk about him all the time, right? It doesn't matter if you're laying down, rising up, going where you go. But just talking about God brings, it changes the whole conversation. Like today when I was talking to this new manager, I learned real quick. I start mentioning God. All of a sudden I learned his daughter. He had he used to pastor a church when he was younger. His daughter got cancer, and he got kind of mad at God and kind of bad, lost his faith, and he's kind of been struggling. So it just opens the door is what I'm trying to say to minister. And, you know, when you're talking about your kids, if you do this every day, then you're talking about God every day. It's not a matter of time. It's just I wake up, here I'm talking. This is God's on my mind, you know, and it's going to help them to cope with the day ahead of them, you know, and. It's just interesting how you can find out a lot of things about a lot of people just by mentioning God all the time. You know? Yes, you're right, Terry. But even in street ministry, um, you, you're absolutely right. People will just start unloading on you once you get that conversation started. They are. Yep. Yep. Right. They were just looking for an opportunity for somebody to listen to them. Yeah, exactly right. Good points. Yes. Amen. Um, so this one, talk about God when you're away from home. In Deuteronomy 6, 8, and 9. So we must make our faith, and this goes right along with what Terry's been talking about. And this is right to the point. We must make our faith portable 
as God directs in this passage. Tie them as symbols on your hands. This speaks of what we do for a living. Again, like Terry's been saying, God's word automatically and everything. Uh, and bind them on your foreheads. This stands for our minds, thoughts, and values. God must be part of all that we do and think. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Door frames takes us beyond the literal word and directs us to consider that all that comes and goes through those doors is to have God's signature upon it. It is pleasing to him, and the gates speak of what those outside our home can see. What impression does our family leave on those who watch us from afar? If God's word is written upon our behavior in our community, what do our actions declare about the Lord to our neighbors? Exactly like Terry said, if we love God, truly love God, we wake up talking about God, we're reading scripture, reading devotions on our lunchtime, we go to bed talking about God, we're always just minded on God. That comes out in everyone who makes, has contact with us. And they're going to know that man or that woman, they believe in God. And that, another point, kind of like what you said, when something happens in their lives and they know that you're always representing God, who are they going to come to when trouble comes in their lives? They're going to come to you. <laughs> yep. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Love it. Um, so number three. Uh, when Christ taught, he taught. So Christ beautifully modeled this art of biblical communication when he taught. He taught simply. Simply is the answer. Thus the common people, the unschooled, the unpolished, heard him gladly. That's something I see a lot of people struggle with, especially ministers. Because they've been through biblical college and schooling and things. Like pastor, he's an old country boy. He relates really good to everybody. But then you have other people that have so much schooling and so much book knowledge that a lot of their sermons are just, you know, like they just can't relate to the people in their congregation. Um, so, Jesus definitely didn't have that problem. Uh, Paul didn't have that problem. So many people in the Bible could fit into and talk about Jesus no matter where they were at, whether they were in front of kings or they were in front of the most common people. It was just natural. They just knew what to say. Uh, the power of Christ's teaching was his conviction of the truth of what he was saying. If you believe the word of God, then that truth, conviction should come out when you're ministering to other people. It's not a doubt. It's not, well, the Bible says this, but... Am I really even believing this in my own mind? No. It's 100%. The Bible says this. This is the word of God. And I promise you this will help you in your life. I don't doubt it a bit. 
Because if people see, people are good readers. If they see that you doubt it, or if you're not legit, they're not going to jump on board and go and start reading the Bible or anything else. They're like, this guy's a fool. Why am I going to do this? Uh, Luke 2, 46. Now so it was that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. The age of 12, he already possessed. And then Luke 4, 18 through 22. Because he has anointed me to preach, this is uh, Jesus in the temple, and he reads the scroll from Isaiah, Isaiah 61. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And notice, all the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Astonished that the carpenter's son is speaking with this much assuredness on God's word. Uh, Number two. By bringing God into all life, as leader of your home, you should initiate the daily reading of God's word to your family. And this, it's important for for the fathers to do all these things. But back to what Terry said, I think if mom and dad exude enough Jesus, the kids will almost start to do a lot of this stuff on their own. Especially if they understand and love Jesus. But, establish a routine with a definitive time and place with great effectiveness for your kids to get into God's Word. Verifying the methods of of Bible times together will enhance their love of God and his word in, in their own family. When our children were, were all little, we had evening Bible time with them on our laps. On, on, in, on the living room floor or in their bedroom. And this goes back to, like I said earlier, when you're tucking them in for bed at night. It's a perfect time to sit and share Jesus with them. Um, over to page 273. Um, they even shared their personal salvation testimonies regularly as well as how God has been active in our lives even as they're raising their children so they shared these things with their children they didn't hold anything back from them they weren't ashamed of something in their past that they're trying to hide or keep from their children um it says, uh, since each child's birth, we have sang the same spiritual hymns 
nightly with our children snuggled against us, snuggled against our shoulder, or tucked happily in the bed. And I have to confess, this is one time that I, I, I squandered with, with my daughter. It's something, later in life, sometimes you look back and you wish you could have done some of those younger things differently or spent more of that special time with, with them. Because when they get out in the workforce and they're older and they're on their own, you know, they don't want to, you know, whenever they get, a lot of times in junior high and high school, you know, it's like, don't give me a hug, you're going to embarrass me in front of all my friends, you know. But it's, it's, it's all those times that add up, and you don't realize until they're gone that you squander your opportunities to cherish those moments with your kids. As your children gain the necessary reading skills, start a read-through. Make a Bible chart for each chapter or each book that the children have read. Memorize Bible verses together, something this church does with their kids. Um, establish, this says monthly breakfast, but establish a certain time of the month for each child that you more specifically get an update in their lives. More one-on-one time where it's just you and the kid. Where you take them out for ice cream, whatever it is, and you talk to them about their spiritual walk. Talk to them about how their spiritual walk is playing out for them at school and other places. How hard it is. What's happening, you know? What, what are other kids saying because, because you, you believe this way? Um, it says that we are first of all parents then friends how many how many want to be your child's friend no do you, do you have parent of the what yeah just growing up my mom always said I'm, I'm not your friend when you move out of my house and you have your own life I'll be your friend but until then I'm your mother first and I used to hate that because I'd see my you know girlfriends who were just you know best friends with their mom and they they did everything together they could talk how they wanted around her they could dress how they want you know there was just there was just no boundaries there and so I as I got older I saw what that really looked like not having the the boundaries between a mother and a child and the loss of respect really and so, no, I've, I've never really desired to be friends with my kids. But they're also really little still, so I might feel differently, and it might be a harder thing to urge to fight when they hit their teen years. But as of right now, no, I'm not interested in that. But you are 100% right in, in the way that, that you do it now. A child, a child doesn't need their parent to be a friend child needs boundaries, rules, discipline, they need structure, they need times, they need rules, they need these things because too much free will or free time or free play in a child's life can quickly turn into they're going the wrong direction real fast. We need to know what friends they have and it's not that we're overbearing or over controlling parents but if our kids have found the, what's a nice word, um, to say the wrong bunch of kids at school. You need to know before you find out from the principal or somebody else that your kid has 
befriended this bunch of, of whatever so that you can try to nip it in the butt before it gets way out of control or before you get a call from the police saying, well, we, we took your son from school today because they found him at school with something in the locker that's not supposed to be there. If you don't have communication with your kids, if you don't care about their lives, then you don't know. It's going to be a surprise to you when you get these calls. And it shouldn't be that way as parents. Now, saying that, kids can be extremely good at hiding things, at uh, not misbelieving. What's the word I look for? Sneaking? Sure, that works. As I was, I was, I, I was too. Deceitful, yes, yes. Now, hopefully... If all the other things that we talked about in these, in these chapters plays out like it's supposed to perfectly, then our kids will be so full of Christ that they won't do any of the things, right? We also know that life is real. We know that there are temptations constantly. We know that things happen, and sometimes kids make wrong decisions, as parents still do. So we know that there's life. We know that these are nice things that would be good if every parental relationship worked out like this, but we also know reality. We know where we came from. We know the bad things that we did. Can never expect our kids to be perfect. But if they do have Jesus in them, and you do have that constant line of communication, it's that much easier for them to come to you and say, look, Mom, I messed up. Or, hey, oh, Joe, you remember Joe from grade school? Man, he brought this stuff, you know, and I was just trying to fit in, and one thing led to another, you know, as godly parents, as kids that trust their parents, it's easier to handle these things. And if you don't blow up and start throwing furniture across the house when they come and tell you, because then they won't come tell you ever again. Um, so some things that you can ask them are, uh, what do you think about our family? If you could change anything, what would you change? What are your most common thoughts about God? What do you like about the way God made you? And what do you think he wants you to be when you grow up? I like that last one. What do you think he wants you to be? Not what school teacher says or what your best friend's dad says. What does God think? What do you think God wants you to be when you grow up? Um, and then on page 274... It says, take your children on ministry trips. I know, I think it was the second downtown Thanksgiving we had. We had a large part of the church show up, including a lot of the kids showed up too. And man, the kids loved it. The kids loved it. Pastor took a whole bunch of them out, passing out containers full of food. And, and they absolutely loved it. They, they remember it still. So it's awesome to take your kids out in ministry environments that you, you can minister and show them the love of Jesus and show them helping people. Um, and this one I, I liked because it's one of my favorite things. But as a, a discipling father, also initiate meaningful family traditions uh, to include fun outings for the family on a regular basis why is this important? A family that prays, works, and plays together is likely to stay together. 
And I wrote camping out beside that. Because I've always loved camping. Not something I really got to do with my, my parents, but with my friends and with my family, we've got to go camping. And camping is just something, you're back in nature, you're closer to God, you get alone up on a mountaintop, and you can just sit and meditate for hours in the word, in, in prayer, and singing, and your kids can come along and experience these things with you. Um, number three, and I'm probably going to run out of time. Um, number three is not provoking our children to wrath. Ephesians 6, 4. And your fathers, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Children have no way to defend themselves when a parent can't control their wrath in a situation. Instead, they just absorb such meanness right into their little spirits, and then they become angry. So the cycle perpetuates because anger begets anger. Like I always like to say, sin begets sin. A little sin can quickly turn into a big sin because it just feeds on itself. Anger does the same thing. Question number four, it talks about Moses. It says, why was Moses angry? Do you remember what they wore so that you can spot situations that often lead to anger? Moses was angry because of fear. That's one answer. The last time the people were without water, they tried to stone him in Exodus 17, 1 through 4. He was angry because of frustration. That's the second answer. His sister Miriam had just died, and those people thwarted him so often. And Moses was angry, the third answer, of hurt. He had saved their lives in Exodus 32, 7 through 14, when God was ready to destroy them all, and they did not even care or acknowledge what Moses had been doing to them. So those are three things, if you step back and re read those again, those are three things that can cause anger in our own lives. A lot of times because of pride, when we cover that on Sunday night in Tactics of Satan, pride is one of the biggest things that Satan can use to try and bring a man down. And that hurt that it talks about the last, that Moses had poured so much of himself into them, and they didn't even care. And the same thing goes, everybody knows next month's Pastor Appreciation Month. Yay, Pastor, back there. So one thing that people don't realize about pastors, pastors pour themselves into the congregation. They're, you're his flock. Pastor has been numerous times to follow his sheep around and see where they're going and what's being fed into them outside of what he's feeding them to see if it's biblical or not. That's a loving pastor. A lot of pastors ain't going to do that. They don't care outside of Sunday what you do with the rest of your life. This pastor does. We should appreciate him for that. But pride can so many times take our lives and run them in the dirt because 
we pour so much of ourselves, and I think this has happened to many, many pastors, and uh, so many of them, I don't remember the numbers now, but there was a study a couple years ago of how many pastors knew out of seminary school within the first two years they were done with it, they're out, they're never going to preach again, because they get so used up and then hung up to dry, and nobody feeds anything back into them. Their congregation don't, their church don't. So the only feeding that a pastor has is his alone time with God, being refilled by the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. Because very often, pastors never get fed back from their church. So just a little side note to end with, since next month's Pastor Appreciation Month, and this Sunday is Back to Church Sunday. Hope everybody has invited at least one person. It's going to be a wonderful service. Pastor told me a little bit about it today. I'm excited. I know he's excited. Uh, so I have a prayer request. Anybody else have a prayer? Work.